Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Today we're going to talk with Bill Russell. He's the executive director of Union Gospel Mission. Their search and rescue team are finding that the need for water among the homeless in the Portland Streets and corridors is uh, greatly increased because of the hot weather. We're going to talk about how we can come alongside the mission as they continue to do all of the work they always do, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, 365 days a year. Uh, But uh, this additional need for uh, providing water to those who uh, don't have access Uh, And uh, also opening up their day center to greater numbers who also need shelter from the heat. We'll talk with him about that. And we'll talk with Ken Ham. His book is titled Gospel Reset, Salvation Made Relevant. He is the founder and director of Answers in Genesis. And this this is really a great, it's a very small book, but it has a big message that if we miss it, we will fail as the, uh, the body of Christ to reach a generation or generations to come. Ken Ham will join us at the top of the five o'clock hour. We're also going to talk with Jose Zayas about the Good News Today free concert that's coming up on Sunday, August the 12th at the Hillsborough Stadium, featuring Lecrae, Phil Wickham, Holland, uh, with an encouraging message by my guest. We'll tell you more about that in the five o'clock hour. Well, before I get into some of the day's news, I have to tell you, as I left for work this morning, I was listening to um, uh, Jay Sekulow, the American Center for Law and Justice, Jay Sekulow Live, and was literally backing down my driveway and uh, heard this announcement and stopped the car and just started praising God. We learned a major development involving American pastor Andrew Brunson. He's been moved from the Turkish prison to his house in Turkey. Now, the good news is that this is a step in the right direction. He is not uh, free. The charges have not been dropped. He's not been released to leave the country. But it is, according to the ACLJ, a major step in the right direction, a major step forward. In their email earlier today, they write that uh, they confirmed rather that the Turkish government has issued an order releasing Pastor Andrew from prison and allowing him to be returned to his home in Turkey. This is a critical first step that we believe will result in the freedom of Pastor Andrew so that he can return to the United States and be reunited with his family. Given the circumstances following Uh, The coup and events in Turkey of a couple of years ago, it's not possible for him to continue pastoring in the country he loves and has called home for many, many years. So returning him to the United States is the goal. And until he is out of Turkish airspace and safely home, they say this uh, this saga has not come to a close. For nearly two years, we've asked for uh, prayers for Pastor Andrew and his family. As we've been working globally, they write to secure his release from prison in Turkey, where he's been on trial for the supposed crime of Christianization. This is a critical movement, a critical moment. Pastor Andrew is now out of prison, but we need to bring him home to his wife and kids in America. He urgently needs your prayers and your voice. I would encourage you to go to the ACLJ um, webpage or their Facebook page where more details are available. He uh, went into he and his colleagues went into uh, to great lengths to thank the president, the administration, the vice president, secretary of state, members of Congress from both sides of the political aisle who have been instrumental in uh, putting pressure on uh, Erdogan to make this uh, this move in the right direction. In fact, he pointed to a uh, tweet that the president uh, made in the wee hours of the morning one night. It was one week ago today in which he called upon Erdogan. Uh, to release this pastor who was uh, guilty of no wrongdoing, called him a hostage and so on. And uh, they made the point that as people have been praying and consistently praying now for years, 
uh, that they believe that God moved the heart of the king in this case, the president of the United States, as well as Erdogan. Uh, the uh, the leader in Turkey as well. So they're asking us to continue to pray, to keep the pressure on until this has come uh, to a happy conclusion. And that may take a matter of hours, days, weeks, we don't know. But they've asked us to treat this as one step in the right direction, but not the end of the story. But uh, praising God for the release of the pastor from prison where his health was failing. And uh, this will certainly be a, a boon to his recovery as he is now allowed to uh, remain at home, uh, I suppose, under some sort of house arrest. But that's a, a great step toward his ultimate release. Well, some of the developing news stories of the day in a tape secretly recorded before the 2016 election, President Trump and his former longtime personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, appear to discuss a possible payment to a, f- a former Playboy model who claims to have had an affair with the president. And Secretary of State Mike Pompeo could be grilled or has been grilled about the North Korean uh, meeting as well as the uh, president's meeting with Vladimir Putin when he testified before Capitol Hill uh, today. We'll tell you more about that. And the president backed Georgia gubernatorial candidate Brian Kemp won yesterday's uh, GOP primary runoff against uh, Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle, uh, setting up a showdown with Democrat Stacey Abrams in the fall. Farmers hurt by the U.S. trade war with China will receive a total of up to $12 billion in emergency aid. The president's Uh, The president and the administration have announced and pop superstar Demi Lovato is uh, reportedly awake and recovering from an apparent overdose scare. Um, uh, The lead story today, the tale of the secret tape, a recording of the president that was uh, taken without his knowledge or consent. And his longtime personal attorney, Michael Cohen, discussing a possible payment to a former model. Uh, That was provided to CNN on Tuesday by Cohen's attorney and longtime Clinton confidant Lanny Davis. Um, Outlets, news outlets confirmed the existence of the tape on Friday. However, uh, it uh, was not yet uh, confirmed publicly until the CNN outing today. On the recording, which was made prior to the uh, presidential election in 2016, Cohen tells Trump, I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that information regarding our friend David, and adds that he has consulted Trump Organization CFO Alan Weiselberg about how to settle the whole thing up. And that's a quote. Cohen then starts to say, when it comes time for the financing, at which point Trump cuts him off and says, what financing? We'll have to pay. Cohen responds. What Trump says next is not clear, but it ends with the phrase pay with cash. No, 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 no. Uh, Cohen responded before the tape cuts off. And that's a sort of an abrupt ending to the tape. And of course, much is being made uh, of that. And it's uh, potentially a civil, if not criminal, violation of law. We'll continue to follow the story. In an exclusive interview with Fox News, Laura Ingram. On the Ingram angle, Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani slammed the leaking of the audio tape to the media and questioned why the recording ended at a key part of the conversation. Uh, The former governor said the Trump uh, uh, told Cohen don't pay with cash and slammed Cohen for making the recording surreptitiously. There's no way the president is going to be uh, talking about setting up a corporation and then using cash unless you're a complete idiot, Giuliani said, and the president's not an idiot. Well, the recording appears to be one of 12 seized from Cohen's apartment, office, and hotel room by federal investigators in April and turned over to prosecutors on Friday. Cohen is under federal investigation over his alleged practice of paying women to stay silent about claims they had relationships with the uh, married Trump.
In other news, lawmakers uh, seeking answers about the president's uh, talks with Vladimir Putin during their Helsinki summit and the state of efforts to get North Korea to denuclearize are expected to hammer Secretary of State uh, Mike Pompeo, who held his own, by the way, when he testified before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee today. Lawmakers uh, also wanted to know the Trump administration's path forward after pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal last May, especially in the wake of the new war of words between the president of the United States and Iranian President Hassan Rouhani. In addition, the president's harsh criticism of European allies, the state of U.S. relations with NATO, Trump's tariffs and a trade war with China could be other uh, hot topics facing Pompeo. That hearing uh, took place earlier today. And Georgia Secretary of State Brian Kemp has won a bruising Republican runoff in the state's race for governor, leveraging a a, a secret audio recording of his opponent and a last-minute Trump-Pence endorsement. With Tuesday's win against Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle, Kemp faces Democrat Stacey Abrams. She could become the country's first black woman governor. The race will test Democrats' assertion that changing demographics have turned the Republican stronghold into a swing state. Cagle's campaign was rocked by a secret recording in which he says he helped pass a bad public policy bill for political gain. And the president uh, announced on Tuesday that it that the administration will grant up to $12 billion in emergency aid to farmers hurt by retaliatory tariffs and the ongoing trade fight with China and other American trade partners. The Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, said that the plan, which will provide direct assistance and other temporary relief for farmers through the U.S. Department of Agriculture's commodity program, is meant as a stopgap to give uh, Trump time to negotiate a long-term policy with China, the European Union, and others. The plan was announced as the president spoke at the Veterans of Foreign and War's National Convention in Kansas City, where he urged patience in dealing with the tariffs and claimed that farmers will be the biggest beneficiaries of the trade deal in the end. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 20 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. On this day in 1972, the notorious Tuskegee syphilis experiment comes to light as the Associated Press reported that the previous four decades, the U.S. Public Health Service, in conjunction with the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, had been allowing poor rural black male patients with syphilis to go without treatment, even allowing them to die as a way of studying the disease. And on this day in 1952, Puerto Rico becomes a self-governing commonwealth of the United States. And in 1866, on this day, Ulysses S. Grant is named General of the Army of the United States, the first officer to hold that rank. Well, President Trump announced today that he has secured major trade concessions from European Union officials as part of an effort to head off a trade war between the U.S. and the EU. After talks at the White House, the president announced that the EU delegation agreed to increase imports of soybeans and liquefied natural gas. Both sides agreed to work toward the goal of zero tariffs and subsidies on non-auto industrial goods and to resolve retaliatory tariffs. This was a very big day for free and fair trade, the president said. Trump's said that they are looking to slash regulations that limit access to each other's markets and to look to reform the World Trade Organization and limit unfair market practices. The president made the announcement alongside European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker, or something like that, at a press conference in the Rose Garden after more than two hours of talks at the White House. We had a big day, a very big day, the president said. Uh, We set out to launch a new phase of close friendship between the United States and the European Union, strong trade relationship. We're both uh, where both of us will win. 
Well, the president uh, said earlier Wednesday that the U.S. was seeking to level the playing field on trade with the EU. For years, the U.S. has been losing hundreds of billions of dollars in trade with the European Union. And we just want to be uh, at a want there to be a level playing field for our farmers, for our manufacturers, for everybody. And we also want a big beneficiary, frankly, to be the European Union. And we think it can be good for everybody. And that's why we are here to discuss, he said. He's sitting along a junk air at the Oval Office. The move is likely to soothe fears of an escalating trade war in the wake of the president's decision to slap a 25 percent tariff on steel imports and a 10 percent tariff on aluminum imports. The EU subsequently retaliated with tariffs on a number of U.S. goods. In the Oval Office, um, the uh, EU commissioner made conciliatory comments saying that the United States and the EU are close partners, allies, not enemies, and noting that the U.S. and the EU represent half of the world's trade. So perhaps the president's strategy is working. We'll continue to follow the story. Meanwhile, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo took a firm line on Russia during a tense Senate hearing today, saying the U.S. will never recognize the Kremlin's annexation of Crimea and threatening severe consequences for any future election meddling. The hearing appearance marked the administration's highest profile chance to address the sustained criticism over last week's summit between President Trump and Russian President Vladimir Putin. As expected, Pompeo faced tough questioning from both sides of the aisle, and he clashed publicly with New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez, the top Democrat on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, just as the hearing was getting started. I understand the game that you're playing, Pompeo said, as the senator repeatedly pressed him to reveal what Trump and Putin discussed in their two-hour conversation last week. I don't appreciate your characterizing my questions, a visibly frustrated Menendez responded. Pompeo, though, insisted U.S. sanctions and other policies toward Russia remain the same. Uh, I want to assure the committee that the United States does not and will not recognize the Kremlin's purported annexation of Crimea. He testified there will be no relief of Crimea-related sanctions until Russia returns control of the Crimean Peninsula to Ukraine. In a separate statement, Pompeo also called on Russia's, Russia rather, to end the occupation of Crimea. Uh, Trump has previously suggested that U.S. opposition to Russia's annexation could be reconsidered. Pompeo also said in his uh, remarks, I personally made clear to the Russians that there will be severe consequences for interference in our democratic processes. He outlined other measures taken by the Trump administration against Russia, including making lethal defensive weapons of available to Ukraine, a move resisted by the Obama administration and the expulsion of dozens of Russian operatives in the United States. Well, did the president say after concluding uh, his opening remarks, Pompeo immediately faced tough questioning about Trump's one on one private meetings with Russian leader Vladimir Putin? Did the president say we are going to change our force structure in Syria? Menendez asked Pompeo. Um, saying Trump was uh, entitled to have private conversations and that U.S. policy had not changed. Both Democratic and Republican lawmakers fiercely criticized the president's performance at the summit, saying the U.S. president had improperly cast doubt on his own intelligence community's conclusions that Russia's meddling in the 2016 election. Critics, including some within the Trump administration, also questioned whether the president should have met alone with Putin. Well, Trump since walked back his statements in Helsinki, saying he did believe the intelligence community's findings. The United States does not and will not recognize the Kremlin's purported um, uh, well, that's another statement. Well, the Secretary of State also addressed the ongoing negotiations with North Korea, saying we are engaged in patient diplomacy, but we will not let this drag out 
uh, to no end. The comment was uh, notable because top administration officials had repeatedly declared that what they called the Obama era of strategic patience, rather, with the rogue regime. Uh, to be over. Pompeo also told uh, New Hampshire Democratic Senator Gene Shaheen that uh, there is an awful long way to go to, to get North Korea to fully denuclearize. He confirmed that North Korea countries uh, uh, continues rather to produce fissile materials, uh, but declined to say publicly whether the country was actively uh, advancing its nuclear program and capabilities. Meanwhile, National Security Advisor John Bolton on Wednesday said that Trump's next meeting with Putin won't occur until after special counsel Robert Mueller's probe ends. Trump had asked his White House to extend an invitation to Putin to visit Washington later this year, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders had said last week. Well, that news prompted Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats to react with apparent surprise at the Aspen Security Forum, only to walk back his reaction later, saying that he did not mean any disrespect to the president. The president believes that the next bilateral meeting with President Putin should take place after the Russians' um, witch hunt is over. So we've agreed that it will be after the first of the year, Bolton said in a statement. Well, um, uh, Corker, uh, Senator Corker uh, said delaying the planned Putin uh, summit in Washington is a good idea and added that we need to uh, find out what is uh, what was agreed with um, in the with Putin in Helsinki. So still a lot of questions, but the probe continues. Meanwhile, Rudy Giuliani, the personal attorney for President Trump, uh, said on Tuesday that it is outrageous that an audio conversation between Trump, then a civilian, and his former lawyer, Michael Cohen, was leaked to the media and questioned why the recording ended at a key part of the conversation. He told Laura Ingram, the host of the Ingram Angle, that he found out that the tape was leaked at 6 p.m. on Tuesday. He said Trump's legal team listened Uh, numerous times to the tape and determined that the then uh, candidate uh, told Cohen, don't pay with cash. Cohen then interrupts, and we've heard at least a little of what was in it. The former prosecutor said he spent about 4,000 hours listening to legal recordings in his career, and he uh, is confident that if the public listens to the tape three times, it will become clear. CNN on Tuesday played the secretly recorded audio tape from two months before the 2016 presidential election. The tape was provided to CNN by Cohen's attorney, Lanny Davis. Davis was a special counsel to President Bill Clinton and regularly appeared on television to defend the Democrat during the 1998 impeachment. Davis said he will not give another original copy to any other network. He gave one copy to CNN to defend his client, whom he said was falsely accused. The conversation between Trump and Cohen came weeks after the National Enquirer's parent company reached a $150,000 deal to pay former Playboy model Karen McDougal for her story of the 2006 affair, which it never published, a tabloid practice known as Catch and Kill. Trump denies the affair ever happened, and his campaign has said he knew nothing about the payment. Trump and Cohen appear to be discussing buying the rights to the McDougal story from the Inquirer's parent company. And I mentioned just briefly yesterday about the uh, FISA application and uh, whether or not it motivated the investigation that was handed ultimately to Mueller to look into the, p- the potential of collusion. I wanted to revisit that. Uh, Trump has called the uh, fake dirty dossier a, uh, uh, that started the winch hunt um, confirmed by this uh, most recent uh, document dump. And Senator Nunez uh, calls it a total vindication of his concerns throughout all of this. We'll Tell you more about that when we return. Also, later in the uh, the hour, we'll talk with Bill Russell with the Union Gospel Mission 
um, about their effort to provide water and their need for our help. We'll talk to Ken Ham in the five o'clock hour. Gospel Reset. That's the title of his very small volume with a great deal of wisdom in it. Salvation Made Relevant is the subtitle. And we're talk with uh, Jose Zayas about Good News Today, a free concert coming up on Sunday, August the 12th at Hillsborough Stadium. Lecrae, Phil Wickham, and Holland will all be uh, performing as well as a, an encouraging message. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 34 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I started talking just briefly yesterday about the FISA applications that um, uh, reveal that the FBI did, in fact, rely on the Steele dossier to begin the investigation that the Trump administration and his allies have um, have disputed from the very beginning. Um, what we did learn from the recent, I guess it was a document dump, is on uh, Saturday, after months of stonewalling, the FBI uh, dumping some 412 pages of documents related to the Carter Page FISA surveillance warrants, the applications, the certifications, the warrants themselves. Uh, now that it's been seen in black and white, mostly redacted, uh, it's clear that the Steele dossier, the unverified uh, Clinton campaign product, was in fact the driving force behind the Trump-Russian investigation. Now, what that may mean moving forward, I'm not uh, not sure. But based on the dossier, the FBI told the FISA court it believed that Carter Page, who had been identified by the Trump campaign as an advisor, was coordinating with the Russian government in an espionage conspiracy to influence the 2016 election. Well, this... Uh, allegation came from Christopher Steele, the former British spy. The FISA court was not told that the Clinton campaign was behind the uh, Steele's work, nor did the FBI and the Justice Department inform the court that Steele's allegations had never been verified. And that's a central uh, point in all of this. Uh, in fact, each FISA application, the original in October of 2016, and the three subsequent renewals at 90-day intervals uh, were labeled verified application in bold uh, caps in the original, and each one makes this breathtaking um, a representation. The FBI has reviewed this verified application for accuracy in accordance with its April 5, 2001 procedures, which includes sending a copy of the draft to the appropriate field offices. In reality, the applications were never verified for accuracy, and that's a major point. Now, again, I'm not sure what happens if uh, because this is true, but uh, in looking at what does verify mean, the representation that the FBI's verification procedures include sending the application to appropriate field offices uh, is standard in FISA warrant applications. It's done because the FBI's domestic investigation and operations guide mandates that the Bureau, and this is a quote, ensure that information appearing in a FISA application that is presented to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, or FISA, has been thoroughly vetted and confirmed. So that is uh, necessary in order for the FISA court to take on uh, a, a, a case. Well, the point is to assure the court that the FBI has corroborated the allegations in the warrant applications in the usual way. Well, a hypothetical um, uh, shows how this works. Let's say that X, an informant, tells the FBI in Washington that Y is a person in St. Louis, told him that Z, the suspect, is pl uh, plotting to rob a bank. X's story is unverified. He doesn't know anything firsthand about Z. He only knows what Y has told him. Obviously, then, the FBI does not instantly run to the court and seek a warrant against Z. Instead, the Bureau sends an investigative lead 
uh, team uh, from the headquarters in Washington to the FBI field office in St. Louis. Agents uh, from the FBI there then go, they find an interview. Why? Based on that interview, the FBI gathers supporting information, uh, physical surveillance or scrutiny available documents and so on. Only then, after debriefing the witness uh, with competent knowledge, do the Justice Department and FBI seek a warrant against Z from the court. In the application, they explain to the judge that they have verified X's information by interviewing Y and then corroborating Y's version of the events. In fact, if they get solid enough information about Z from Y, there may be no reason even to mention X, whose tip to the FBI uh, was sheer hearsay. But that is not what happened in the Carter Page FISA warrant. Were the allegations thoroughly vetted and confirmed by proof uh, independent of Steele before being presented to the FISA court? Um, Well, what might the court have done? But they were not. The FBI presented the court with allegations posited by Steele. He's in the position of X in the hypothetical, and he's not the source of any of the relevant information on which the court was asked to rely for its probable cause finding that Page was a clandestine Russian agent. In this context, source means a reliable witness who saw or heard some occurrence on which the court is being asked to base its ruling. Steele has not been in Russia for about 20 years. In the connection with the dossier allegations, he was merely the purveyor of the information from the actual sources, unidentified Russians who themselves relied on hearsay information from other sources, sometimes double and triple hearsay, very attenuated from the supposed original source. So you can see the problem with uh, the FISA court approving uh, the investigation that has now gone on for some time. In each uh, Carter Page FISA warrant application, the FBI represented that it had, in fact, reviewed and verified applications, uh, the application for accuracy. But did the Bureau truly ensure that that information had been thoroughly vetted and confirmed? The answer is no. And uh, that's the uh, the problem. That's why the president uh, says that this fake, dirty dossier started the witch hunt. It uh, seems to have been confirmed that that was the case in these FBI documents that were released uh, on Saturday last. And Nunez says that he is totally uh, vindicated as well. Um, and again, what uh, what happens next is not altogether clear, but that's uh, what we know at this point. Well, in other news, President uh, Trump's Environmental Protection Agency has cleaned up more polluted or contaminated sites in less time and at a faster pace than the previous administration did in all of 2015 and 2016, according to an analysis of government records. Wednesday marks the one-year anniversary of the EPA's Superfund Task Force report, which includes a list of 42 recommendations for federally funded cleanup efforts at hundreds of polluted and even toxic sites. An EPA press release highlights progress the agency has made in acting on the task force's uh, recommendations, and that includes more direct attention to the sites potentially eligible for partial or full deletion from the federal Superfund list. Well, since uh, the president took office in January of last year, EPA officials have cleaned up all or part of 13 listed sites compared to nine sites cleaned up by the previous administration in 2015 and 2016 combined. A total of 1,345 sites remain on the Superfund list, according to the EPA. The agency released a video highlighting Superfund success stories from around the country uh, that can be Uh, seen on their website. In 1980, Congress passed the Comprehensive Environmental Response, Compensation, and Liability Act, widely known as the Superfund Program. It provides funds for cleanup of thousands of contaminated sites across the country that include such contaminants as lead, asbestos, dioxin-infused soil, and radiation. 
Contaminated locations include industrial facilities, landfills, mining sites, according to a page on the EPA's website detailing the Superfund's history. While the parties responsible either must clean up the sites themselves or cover the cost of EPA cleanups, if no party is found responsible for contamination, the program provides the EPA with money and authority to perform the cleanup. They distinguish between full and partial deletions of sites from the list, which the agency uses to identify and prioritize sites. Full deletions occur from the Superfund list when all of the remedies are successfully implemented. The agency's annual list of full and partial deletions of uh, said sites shows that the Trump administration is well ahead of where remediation efforts were during the final two years of the um, Obama administration's eight years in the White House. And a new bipartisan Senate report revealed more than half of the government's public data on federal spending is wrong. The website's US, uh, spending, usaspending.gov is riddled with errors. The Permanent Subcommittee on Investigation, led by Chairman Rob Portman and uh, Ranking Member Tom Carper, a Republican and a Democrat respectively, released a report uh, Tuesday finding nearly every agency is failing to accurately report its spending as required by federal law. Not very in, in, uh, encouraging. The subcommittee reviewed over two dozen inspector general reports and determined 55 percent of the spending data submitted to USAspending.gov was inaccurate. The errors accounted for $240 billion in spending during the second quarter of uh, 2017, according to the report. The Digital Accountability and Transparency Act of 2014, or Data Act as it's known, required federal spending to be easily accessible to the public through the searchable website, which became usaspending.gov. The website was revamped earlier this year, but agencies are not meeting their requirements to submit accurate, consistent, and reliable data on its spending. The agency in charge of usaspending.gov, the Treasury Department, is among the worst of culprits, as 96% of its own data is inaccurate. So if you think you know, based on information provided there, you don't. Well, in 2003, iconic fashion magazine Vogue, they launched an offshoot aimed at covering fashion and celebrities for teenagers. That magazine, Teen Vogue, didn't take long to find a new mission to encourage young girls to engage in promiscuity and to portray abortion as something normal and insignificant, something equivalent to, oh, I don't know, a quick weekend trip to the mall. Even as Teen Vogue's sales declined, the hyper-focus on abortion, politics, and sexuality in a fashion magazine continued. In 2015, Teen Vogue was suffering from a sales solo and had to completely scrap its print magazine and transition to an online-only publication. But the positive promotion of killing the most vulnerable humans among us continues. Well, this week, Teen Vogue praised an abortion comedy tour because there's nothing more funny than abortion, boasting that it fights anti-abortion stigma with humor. The tour is spearheaded by pro-abortion comedian Liz Winstead. And in Teen Vogue's write-up, readers are encouraged to stop viewing abortion as something negative or traumatic. Those who are struggling, they write, with their abortion experience benefit from resources that can help them navigate those complicated emotions. However, the danger of only amplifying this specific narrative is that it becomes the dominant one, allowing for anti-choice ideologies, read pro-life, to exploit that emotion and present abortion as predominantly emotionally disruptive for people. Well, Teen Vogue applauded the comedy tour for bringing joy, pleasure, and relief to discussions on the topic, even though there is nothing joyful about a woman in a situation so dire that she feels she has no choice but to take the life of her preborn child. Well, the Lady Parts League, uh, Justice League, uses the, uh, uh, the subject for uh, entertainment 
as well. I won't go into any more details, but uh, if your daughters are purveyors of Teen Vogue, just know that their emphasis is something different than what fabrics are in this season and what uh, length of uh, skirt and how high your heels should be is not uh, the predominant focus. By the way, Kate Brown, Newt Bueller in a dead heat, according to a new uh, survey and pollsters say uh, that this is uh, going to be a tight race. Oregon is generally a blue state, yet three months before the general election, Democrats are locked in a bitter fight to hold on to the governor's seat. Of course, uh, Republican Representative uh, Newt Bueller has uh, claiming the bend surgeon could no longer represent his legislative district because um, of his uh, location and his support of uh, abortion being secured. He now is in a pretty much a statistical tie with her, his opponent, Kate Brown. And we learned today that Otto Warmbier's brain damage that led to his death was caused by a suicide attempt rather than torture by North Korean prison guards. According to a uh, report, Otto Warmbier may have attempted suicide while he was imprisoned in North Korea. One can imagine why that would be the case. The 22-year-old uh, Virginia University scholarship student was also never physically tortured by the North Korean authorities during his captivity in 2016 and 2017, the story uh, claims. Uh, He was imprisoned in North Korea, according to the report. Writing in GQ magazine, author Doug Bach-Clark accuses President Trump of promoting the torture theory to justify his tough stance on Kim Jong-un before uh, stopping uh, to mention that the relations um, were deteriorating. Warmbier was arrested during a budget tour of the uh, Hermit State in January of 2016 and died uh, days after arriving in the United States. 47 minutes. After 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, Bill Russell, Union Gospel Mission. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I don't know about you, but there's only one word to describe what the weather has been like. Hot. It's really hot. I mean, it's like really, really hot. I went and did some yard work uh, the other day and... Uh, didn't hydrate sufficiently. And I'm telling you, I was on the verge of, I'm probably exaggerating, but it felt like I was on the verge of a heat stroke. My head started to hurt. I felt a little bit woozy. Um, it's really, really hot. And unless you're sufficiently hydrated, there can be real problems associated with that. Well, I happened to open my email earlier today, and there was a an email from the Union Gospel Mission. And um, I was reminded that, you know, I have the luxury of leaving my home that's air-conditioned, getting into my car. It's air-conditioned. I drive here. I leave the car, take that short walk to the door. It's not air-conditioned outside, into a a luxury building that's air-conditioned. And um, I sit at my desk in the climate-controlled environment uh, that I call work. Well, that's not the case if you are homeless living on the streets of Portland. And Union Gospel Mission, that is always on it. Uh, They're on that as well, and they are providing uh, water and keeping men and women on the streets um, hydrated. In fact, the numbers that come into Union Gospel Mission increase during this time as well, because like us, uh, folks are looking for relief from the heat. Well, I called Bill Russell, and he is so generous with his time, agreed to talk with us a little bit about the challenge they face, and uh, to answer the question, is there something we can do to help? Bill Russell, it's always a pleasure. Welcome. Hey, hey, Georgine, I'm glad we're both cool today. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's not true for everybody. No, and, you know, I think uh, you put your finger on it. We don't air condition 100% of our building down at 3rd and Burnside, but we do, we have provided in a uh, 2009 remodel air conditioning for the homeless day room. And it's for days such as this. I mean, 
we not only need to get people into warm venues when they're at risk of hypothermia in the cold winter, we need to cool people down when they have few options and they're at risk of heat stroke in the summer. And so we provide that and we do see a spike in the number of people who come in and feel cared for and receive hope with that care. And, and it's always our prayer that people not just get relief from the summer sun, but get relief from sin and from guilt and get the relief that they can find in Jesus, which is eternal and abundant life. Uh, you know, I, I know that you have people that come into the shelter for that purpose, but there are also those that you find during the search and rescue teams uh, efforts, people who live in other right. places and water isn't readily available. We tend to think, you know, we're surrounded by water. It rains here all the time. But when we're in conditions right. like this, it becomes critical that there's sufficient water. And if you haven't had enough to eat, that complicates matters as well. No question. And, you know, water distribution is so fundamental. So uh, when the temperature gets over, as it is in the Portland area right now, over 90, we're doing water distribution seven days a week and going out at the hours that are most critical. Um, where, you know, on, on most days in, in more moderate temperatures, we'd be going out five nights a week. Uh, we, we just have to do that because people are at risk. And um, so dehydration can be terrible. And we have the advantage right now, too, that we can get um, water for about 40 cents a bottle, where you can't get that at the cheapest places because we buy in bulk. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're inviting people for $20 to to buy lots more water, you know. And uh, so... uh, but if people want to bring water donations, if you've got your kids and you want to bring donations down to the to the mission, or if you want to go out and help distribute water, there are ways to do all that. Um, then go online at ugmportland.org and either get involved or they can also bring donation, water donations down to the mission. ugmportland.org is the best, uh, best way to, to connect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's important to point out that you guys are not subsidized by any uh, federal or local money. Um, you are still nope. serving meals every day. You're still doing everything yeah. that you always do. This is on top of the 24 7, 365 day work that you're doing. So, this is uh, in addition to maintaining all your efforts to serve the homeless uh, in our community. That's true. Uh, you have to respond to the need. And, uh, you know, a lot of, of uh, part of our workforce. A lot are, are either volunteers or they're former homeless people. And I love working alongside our former homeless people because they remember vividly. And we've had stories on, on your show before that tell the story of how former homeless people remember what it's like yeah. to be out there. And you and I listened to a story of a man who got so thirsty in a hot summer, he drank river water right out of the Willamette, which just makes me cringe. But if heat it makes your mind fuzzy and you're desperate and thirst, you might do something crazy like that. And we just want to reach people and say, no, here's clean, good water, and you can get living water from Jesus as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, uh, for listeners who are interested in coming alongside, you can go to ugmportland.org. You can come to the mission if you want to donate water. And about $20 provides how much water for a you know, I, I, I was thinking it's about 40 cents a bottle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
twenty dollars would would provide. I, my math is off, but it's really it's like, a good bargain. Yeah, it's more than two to one. So 40, I think about 50, forty bottles. You know, yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, good stuff. Uh, all right. Well, I, I so I must have been out in the sun too much today. My mind's a little. <laughs> That's what happens. You know, one more thing. I, yeah. One more thing I wanted to say, Georgine, is that you know there are a lot of people in homeless camps that can't get out of the heat and people living in RVs, they have to get out of their RV. I mean, they don't have money to run. They don't have air conditioners in them or the money to run it. And those places can become, you know, 120, 130 degrees Hmm. in this kind of heat. So, so we have to connect with those people. And the other thing is a number of homeless have uh, dual diagnosis. They have some kind of mental issue. And I have so many friends who are homeless that when the conditions get like that, they really don't know how to process it mentally. And so for us to be able to calm them down and cool them down with water, it's imperative for their mental health and their well-being. Yeah, and for so the broader I, community. So, yeah, so grateful uh, for your encouragement to, to your listeners to go to ugmportland.org.org and get involved. You can go to the Get Involved page, or you can just see where we're located right on the corner of 3rd and Burnside and, and bring some water down. Well, let me just say on behalf of our our community, thank you for serving on days like this and days, uh, the days ahead when it's raining and snowing and you guys are doing what you do so well in the name of Christ and transforming lives and providing basic needs, uh, even when we're not thinking about it. So I want to make sure that when an opportunity arises, when a need arises, that we have uh, some information on how to help uh, come alongside you uh, to faithfully serve as you do every day. So thank you. Oh, you're on behalf of the whole team. You're very welcome. And we just appreciate your prayers and your support. Okay. Thanks, Bill Russell. Appreciate you. All right. Talk to you soon, Georgina. Okay. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Again, Bill Russell is the executive director of Union Gospel Mission Portland. And you can uh, go to the website, ugmportland.org. You can bring water to the facility on 3rd and Burnside. Uh, and keep these uh, men and women on our streets in prayer. We know that it can be a burden for a community. Um, But we also know that these men and women and children have value in God's eyes and there are ministries that are available to help them step away from uh, the lifestyle that drains the uh, vitality from a life uh, into a more productive uh, life that includes a relationship with Christ. So keep uh, UGM in your prayers and if you can, help them with this uh, water emergency. Okay, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to uh, take a break. Uh, We've got news and traffic at the top of the hour. When we return, Ken Ham will join us. His latest book, Gospel Reset, Salvation Made Relevant, a great book to help us understand the challenge we face as believers, individuals, and the church in general. So I hope you can stick around and uh, listen to that conversation. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. We are glad to have you with us. Well, the message of the gospel hasn't changed, but the way people think has changed dramatically. When we proclaim the power of the gospel and the hope of the gospel, we might be assuming the foundation has already been laid, but that would be a faulty assumption. A fast-growing majority in our country and around the world has no concept of sin and therefore no understanding of a need for salvation. In order to reach them, our choice of words and the starting point of our gospel conversation needs to adjust. Well, Ken Ham writes to help us better understand how to effectively reach the lost with a message of salvation that actually makes sense to them in their context. In his uh, latest book, Gospel Resets, 
he offers a biblical precedent in, uh, in Acts for the need to approach millennials differently than previous generations and um, to learn how to overcome the religion of secularism and answer the most common objections our culture has. Well, the book is titled Gospel Reset, Salvation Made Relevant. Ken Ham is the president and CEO and founder of Answers in Genesis U.S., the highly acclaimed Creation Museum and the new Ark Encounter with over a million visitors annually. He's authored over 35 apologetic books and resources with over 3 million books sold, and he is one of the most in-demand Christian speakers in North America. He joins us today to talk about the gospel and how we might reach this generation with the truth of God's Word. Ken Ham, it is such a pleasure to have you with us. Hey, thanks, Georgine. It's great to join with you. Now, when I first saw the title of the book, Gospel Reset, Salvation Made Relevant, immediately I get defensive. Okay, the gospel doesn't need to be reset, and the the gospel is already relevant. Then I saw your name as the author, and I thought, ah, there's more to this. Let's talk about the, the name Gospel Reset and the fact that you're not advocating that the gospel has to be adjusted, but that we need to recognize the age that we're in. Correct. Uh, in, and it's important to understand, you know, the Bible hasn't changed, the gospel doesn't change, you know, the gospel message uh, has not changed in any way. But when I'm talking about a gospel reset, I'm talking about a reset of the tactics we yes. use to be able to communicate uh, the gospel uh, to the generations today. You know, when, when you look at the generation of millennials, for instance, compared to, say, the greatest generation, what they call the greatest are those born before 1928. And, you know, they categorize uh, groups according to their birth dates and give them names. There's the greatest generation, there's the silent, there's the boomers, there's Generation X, there's the millennials, and then Generation Z. If if you look at the greatest generation, 56% of them went to church. If you look at the millennials, it's 18%. Uh, And they're the statistics in America. In other words, we're seeing an exodus uh, from the church. Also, if you look at all sorts of other research done by Pew Research and Barner and others, the coming generations like the millennials, Generation Z, uh, don't have anywhere near a Christianized worldview as did the older generations. And one of the things I'm saying is that you can't present the gospel in the same way uh, that has been done in the past today for, for those generations that have a whole different way of looking at things. They've got a very secularized worldview. Most kids from church homes have been sent to the secular education system. They have a different foundation. It's basically that that man determines truth. And it's interesting, when when Billy Graham died recently, Mm -hmm. Yahoo News, the headline was, there'll never be another Billy Graham because the world that made him possible is gone. And I remember when Billy Graham came to Australia in the 50s, 60s, 59 actually, and in the 60s, my father said he was known as the Bible says man. And so his classic statements were, the Bible says, all have sinned. The Bible says, you know, put your faith and trust in Christ. What I'm saying is, Whereas that worked in those generations in the sense that people understood what he was saying, had a respect for the Bible. Uh, even in Australia, you know, when I was a kid, uh, it was mandatory for teachers to read through the Bible during the year because we inherited the British system. But if you go to Australia today and start saying the Bible says and all have sinned, we now have generations where they have thrown the Bible out of public schools, taught evolution as fact. They no longer have that foundation. They no longer understand the message in the same way. If you say the Bible says 
generations of, of the millennials and Generation Z have already been indoctrinated against the Bible. So when you say the Bible says, they say, well, we don't believe the Bible. We live in a scientific age. The Bible is a book of mythology. What I'm saying is you've got to start at a different place. You've got to actually help them understand why we can even uh, start with the Bible, even talk about the Bible. You know, when you say the word God, generations ago, when you said the word God in the public school, people would think of one God, the God of the Bible. But you say the word God today and they say, well, there are many gods. Which God are you talking about? So what I'm saying is we need to understand that we can't use the same Christian jargon and approach of the past with the generations that we have coming up today uh, or we're not going to communicate the same gospel message, the gospel message that doesn't change. So it's to do with understanding that today's generations are more like an Acts 17 generation that Paul went to when he went to the Greeks, whereas the older generations are more like an Acts 2 generation that Peter went to when he took the gospel to the Jews. And if we don't understand that change from an Acts 2 to an Acts 17 type culture, we're not going to be effective in getting the gospel message to them in a way they'll understand. Yeah. In fact, you write, I see this as a critical moment in church history, for if churches don't wake up, recognize this divide, and make the necessary gospel reset, particularly regarding the millennial generation, then we are going to lose the next generation and effectively destroy the church's influence in our country. Now, I appreciate that you draw our attention not to necessarily a new method of of an approach, but you draw us to God's word. And as you pointed out in Acts 2, where Peter is speaking to the Jews whose worldview had been shaped by the the scriptures, as opposed to Acts 17, where he is speaking to the Greeks, and they have no no history or background uh, to point to, and he uses uh, the language and makes reference to to Christ and so on, that we need to make that same kind of shift, and failure to do so means we are going to fail at the larger uh, assignment that God has given us. Well, certainly. I mean, when you think about it, in Acts 2, when Paul went to the Jews, if he said God, they understood. Sin, they understood. Um, that death is a consequence of, uh, of sin, they understood. Talked about the Messiah, they understood. Because the Jews, I mean, they had the writings of Moses, and they knew about Adam and Eve, they knew about the fall of man, they knew about the entrance of sin and death, they knew about the promise of the Messiah. I mean, right there in Genesis 3.15, we have the promise of the Messiah. But as 1 Corinthians one twenty three says, the preaching of the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews, but foolishness to the Greeks. And so when Peter comes in and preaches to the Jews, look what you did. You nailed uh, Jesus Christ on the cross. You nailed the the Messiah on the cross, but God raised him from the dead and and gives that message. There were 3,000 who were converted. And what I'm saying is that's a similar sort of situation to generations ago when the Bible was taught in schools. A lot of kids went to to church, went to Sunday school, familiar with uh, Christian terminology. When you said sin, they understood. When you said God, they primarily thought of the God of the Bible. So I'm sort of using Acts 2 as analogous of what our culture uh, used to be like. But now, in America, in fact, the whole Western world, by and large, we see uh, creation, the Bible, prayer thrown out of uh, public schools. They say they've thrown religion out. They haven't they threw Christianity out. And now we have whole generations taught naturalism, that you can explain everything without God. And of course, now, the way the, the, the culture is going, more and more people are, are believe that you know science has disproved the Bible and so on. So we have generations now coming through where uh, they're not going to church as they did in previous generations. They're not familiar with that terminology. And so when you say God, they're thinking, which God? There are many gods. You talk about sin, they don't really understand what you're talking about. And how can death be the penalty for sin if there's been death for millions of years? We have, we have 
cultures today, when you look at the millennials, Generation Z, they're much more like the Greeks. And actually, our Sunday schools and our churches are filled with kids who are more like Greeks in their thinking uh, than than like the Jews in Acts 2, which is why we have, have uh, generations today in our churches that, for instance, of the millennials, the research we've done shows that those that attend church regularly, 40% of them say they're not born again. And 65% say if you're a good person, you get to heaven. It's even worse with Generation Z, which are the younger ones. I mean, they're twice as likely as, as adults to say they're atheists. And the Generation Z that are in our churches are so secular in their thinking. And we're telling them to, to trust in Jesus. And I'm saying increasingly, they don't even know what that means. They don't even have the foundation. They don't even understand what God's word really is. And that's why so many of them are very pro-gay marriage and pro-abortion and so on. So we've got to understand that the culture has changed and the method by which we reach these kids with the Christian message and to understand uh, what the Bible is and to understand the gospel has to also change. And that's what Paul did in Acts 17. He changed his method. He preached Jesus and the resurrection. It was foolishness to them. So then he defined who God is, used something from their culture, and altered the unknown God, that there's one God. He talked about the fact we're all from one man. He was giving them the right foundation and then got back to that same message of Jesus and the resurrection. And actually he saw uh, some converted when he did that, which is, uh, which is absolutely incredible from a human perspective. Mm -hmm. When you think about the fact, you know, he was... You imagine today going out and preaching to a whole group of Richard Dawkins atheists, you know, people like that. They're very difficult to reach. And that's where I'm saying our culture is heading. We're talking about the book Gospel Reset, Salvation Made Relevant. My guest is Ken Ham. We're going to continue that conversation in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we're talking about the book Gospel Reset, Salvation Made Relevant. The truth is the culture has changed. Christian values, traditions, terminologies that were once common knowledge, they've become a thing of the past. The typical Sunday morning call to salvation is like listening to another language uh, for many people today. We're talking about a book that will help you understand how to effectively reach the lost with a message of salvation that actually makes sense to them. My guest is uh, Ken Ham. Now, you use the analogy of construction, the constructing uh, a, a house. Uh, explain why today's evangelistic efforts fall short. Well, you know, if I said to somebody, look, you know, uh, I'm here at the Creation Museum in Northern Kentucky, and in Northern Kentucky, the way we build houses is that we actually build the roof first, and then we put the walls under the roof, and then we put the foundation under that. You would say, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Houses like that wouldn't stand. Well, of course we don't do that. Actually, what we do is the same as what we do all across America and around the world. To build a house, you build the foundation, and then you build the walls, and then you build the roof. And the reason I say that is because... You know, if we're going to communicate, say we're communicating the gospel uh, to someone, I'm always thinking in terms of building a house. And I'm saying to myself now, does that person have the same foundation I do? Do they understand uh, the foundation of the gospel, the origin of sin, the origin of death, where we came from, to know why we're sinners, to know what sin is, uh, to understand then why God's Son stepped into history to die on a cross, uh, become, become a man, the God-man, die on a cross, raised from the dead, and offers a free gift of salvation. Because if I just come in and start trying to build the house 
uh, in other words, get them to understand just the roof and the walls, but there's no foundation. The roof and the walls aren't going to stand. Well, I have to come in and say, I want to make sure you've got the right foundation. You understand, you know, I'm starting with God's word and uh, talk about Adam and Eve and the fall of man and the entrance of sin and, and, and death and to understand the foundation as to why we need a savior and why God's son stepped into history and so on. You see, we have generations of kids today that have gone through an education system where they've thrown God and the Bible out, and so their foundation is man's word, that man determines truth. And we've got those kids in our Sunday schools and youth groups and uh, the, the younger generations out there, their foundation is man determines truth. And we're coming in with a Christian worldview or uh, with, with the message of the gospel, and we're trying to put the walls and the roof, the structure of Christianity, if you like, on that foundation. It's not going to stand. It just won't work. We have to make sure they've got the right foundation of God God's word so that we can then build the walls and the roof so we can build uh, the structure of Christianity and that's that's really what I'm saying here I'm saying look generations ago the right foundation was there because uh, even kids that went to public school and didn't go to church heard about God and heard about the Bible but most kids in our culture uh, in, in America went to church and that, so they had that foundation they understood the terms and so then when you talk about the saving message of the gospel and that Jesus dying on the cross they understood that and they could respond what I'm saying is today we have these generations that no longer have that foundation so you can't just come in there and preach the message the way we did in the past come in and say you born again uh, you're a sinner repent of your sin they, increasingly they don't even understand what that message means and that's why we have to make sure that we start at the beginning. In fact, as I say to people, look, I, I want to start a revolution. And this is a revolution that will blow you off your seats. It's so radical, you'll wonder where this ever came from. And my, my idea of revolution is, how about we start sharing the gospel the way God did it in the Bible by starting at the beginning? And you say, well, well, well of course. I mean, if you, if you buy an Agatha Christie murder mystery, you don't just look at the last chapter, find out who done it, and throw the book away. That'd be silly, because then you wouldn't even understand what it was all about. You have to start at the beginning to understand the plot. And I'm saying the same thing is true here. We have a, a churches, because of years of compromise with evolution of millions of years, that basically neglected the book of Genesis, didn't teach that uh, to generations of their kids. They went to public school, got a whole different foundation of evolution, millions of years, man determines truth. And now we wonder why they're walking away from the church, why there's such an exodus from the church, uh, because they no longer have the foundation of God's word, that, and they don't have the beginning to even understand the message of the gospel. And we, if we don't come to grips with that as a church, we're increasingly not going to be communicating to the coming generations. And let's face it, stand back and have a look. The church is not impacting the culture like it did with mm -hmm. the message of the gospel. We're, we're seeing uh, an exodus from the church. We're seeing the secularization of the coming generation. So I, I'm really saying, wake up, church. Understand what's happened here. We have got to rethink how we do things, and we've got to start at the beginning. And you know, Georgine, there was just just this week there was some research that came out about uh, how how Christians uh, in the church read the Bible. And it showed that Genesis is so neglected 
they concentrate on certain New Testament books and the book of Revelation. And I'm saying, look, that's indicative of the problem here. We don't realize so many have lost that foundation in Genesis, so they're not going to understand the message of the gospel. And yet much of the church concentrates on the last part of the book. We've lost the first part, which is why we're losing these generations, which is why we're not communicating the gospel effectively. To mm. Now, you point out that Paul struggled to reach the Greeks in Acts 17, and uh, pastors, evangelists, and laymen today are struggling to connect with this generation in much the same way. How does that conversation begin? Is it uh, is it a conversation that starts in Genesis? Is it a, a, a shift in the approach that the church takes in preaching the whole gospel that includes the beginning as well as the end? How do we begin to reverse course? You know, there's a, there's a number of aspects to this, I think. And first of all, I believe we should always be teaching the gospel by starting at the beginning. I mean, that's why I mentioned a bit about uh, a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. By that, you, you always start at the beginning. But why did God put the book of Genesis at the beginning? Because it's important, because it is the foundation. The first 11 chapters are foundational to the rest of the Bible. And so, first of all, what what churches need to be doing, I believe, and you know, we produced a whole Sunday school curriculum that does this and other materials. One of the reasons we do what we do as a ministry, but that is we should be starting at the beginning to lay the foundation right there. But uh, I'm even saying more than that in this culture. You know, when when you today go out and say the Bible says we've already got generations of kids that have been indoctrinated against the Bible, science of history of the Bible, the Bible is a book of mythology. So what I'm saying is we need to be starting at the beginning but using apologetics teaching and apologetics arguments to answer the skeptical questions of of this age to help people understand why we can really trust the Bible and why that history in Genesis is true. So we've got to start at that particular place today and then build on the foundation as we go through the whole of Scripture. Look, a good an, an analogy in a way is um, uh, New Tribes Mission. And I've got some friends here in New Tribes Mission who are missionaries in Papua, Indonesia, and they're missionaries to an isolated tribe. And what they do is they teach them the gospel by starting at the beginning because New Tribes missionaries found years ago that when they just went to these isolated tribes and preached about Jesus and thought they had all these responses, they found out that they, that these people didn't understand the gospel at all. They just did what the missionaries wanted them to do. And so they realized they needed to start at the beginning to explain it from the beginning or they wouldn't understand who Jesus is and what he did on the cross and what it means to them and, and what salvation really is all about. And I'm saying... We're in a similar position in in the world today, except in most of the world, because of the education system and TV and the Internet and other such things, these people have been indoctrinated against the Bible itself. And so we've got to start by helping them understand we've got answers to all those skeptical questions that have caused this doubt in regard to the Bible and establish it as it really is what it claims to be, the Word of God, who knows everything. It really is God's breathe. And this history in Genesis really is true because that is the foundation for understanding why marriage is a man and a woman. It's a foundation for understanding why we're made in God's image and abortion would be a killing a human being made in God's image. It's the foundation for understanding why we're sinners. It's the foundation for understanding why we need some salvation in Christ. So we've got to teach by starting with that foundation, and we should be doing that 
over and over again uh, in our churches and in our homes because that's what we've lost is that foundational teaching. We're talking with Ken Ham. The book uh, we're discussing is Gospel Reset, Salvation Made Relevant. If I understand uh, correctly, it begins with acknowledging that divide that we are te- we're, uh, speaking to young people who are more like the Greeks than the Jews that Peter and Paul ministered the gospel to. And, and it's going to take Uh, some effort on our part to recognize the age that we're in and then to uh, become equipped to uh, talk with them in a way they can understand uh, beginning at the beginning. And I know um, Answers in Genesis has lots of great resources to help us uh, to shape that apologetic and to be able to communicate in an effective way. Well, we certainly do. In fact, you know, the biggest selling creation apologetics books in the world are the answers books and what we do there is we have 160 of the most asked questions because I've traveled around the world for 40 years and we know the questions people ask today to create doubt that you can trust the Bible this is the sort of thing I'm saying we should be doing using those answers to be able to raise up uh, generations of people who know what they believe know why they believe what they do and are equipped to defend the Christian faith and answer the skeptical questions of this age and who are able to then help people understand the truth of God's word starting right at the very beginning. It's at the beginning that in this era we've really lost uh, the authority of God's word and that's why we've really lost the ability to communicate uh, the gospel to coming generations and that's why we produce these materials. We even, you know, we have a a Sunday school curriculum that goes from pre-K to adult uh, so it's synchronized for every age level. It's called Answers Bible Curriculum, but it's apologetics, biblical authority, chronological. We go all the way from Genesis to Revelation, and we connect Old and New Testament all the way through and teach apologetics. 10,000 churches are using that now, and we, the responses we're getting back, they're saying it's revolutionizing their churches. It's revolutionizing their young people, their kids, their adults, because they said they, a lot of them are saying, now we really understand what the Christian message is all about because we start at the beginning and lay the foundation and then go all the way through. Well, Ken Ham, I appreciate your, uh, your efforts to help to uh, strengthen the church and equip us. And I would encourage our listeners to begin with Gospel Reset, Salvation Made Relevant. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Hey, thank you. Really appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, there's a lot of bad news out there today. In fact, we've covered a little bit of it earlier today, but there is also good news. And joining us to talk about a good news event that's coming up on uh, the 12th of August, that's a Sunday at Hillsborough Stadium, is Jose Zayas. He is uh, active in global missions, speaking at festivals, conferences, and outreaches across the country in Europe and in Africa through uh, Jose Zayas uh, Evangelism International. He's also committed to local missions, serving as lead pastor of 26 West Church in Portland. He's the author of Airborne, Getting Your Faith Off the Ground. And uh, we're just delighted to have you on the program today and to let our listeners know about the Good News Today free concert and event that's coming up on the 20, on, uh, excuse me, August the 12th. Welcome. Thanks, Georgine. Well, this is such a great uh, opportunity uh, to reach the broader community, and you've got quite a lineup of performers and an opportunity uh, for people to hear the gospel as well. Tell us about Good News Today. Well, you know, Good News Today has come out of years of churches praying together, serving together, whether it's in public schools or in the community. But there was a sense amongst a group of pastors, starting in Hillsboro, that the time is right. There are people who are hungry for something that's good, that's positive, 
and that lifts up the name of Jesus. So uh, by faith, we, we booked Hillsborough Stadium for August the 12th, and now it's turning out to be a fantastic lineup. I mean, Lecrae, Phil Wickham with a brand new album, Holland, and absolutely free, Georgie, no cost. <laughs> that really is an amazing thing. It's an outdoor, outdoor venue, and if you've never been to the Hillsborough Stadium, it's really a great place to just hang out with family and friends. And to have the opportunity to hear Lecrae and Holland and all the others uh, is, is just a great thing. What do you hope will happen at Good News today? You know, well, I hope a, a couple of things at least. One, that people who love Jesus will spend some time together. Mm. If you're part of a local church, you may be in the summer, do a church picnic or camping event, but what would it look like if thousands and thousands from many different local churches were just in the same place talking about the same Lord? That would be a win. But, you know, as an evangelist, you, you want people who seem or feel far from God to, to know that they've been invited by Jesus. And Jesus is calling them close, and he's offering eternal life, and it's a gift, and it's for them, and they just need to receive. So if people turn one step closer to Jesus, it's all worth it. Oh, absolutely. Now, in addition to great music, and there's going to be great music there, you're going to also offer a message as well. And I think for a lot of people who think about, man, I'm going to bring a family member, I'm going to bring my neighbor, a coworker, they wonder now, what kind of message might I expect? Am I going to need to be cautious about the message that's going to be brought? Give us some indication of what you hope to bring to that audience for Good News Today. Oh, thanks, Georgine. You know, there's nothing to worry about. We're going to focus on Jesus and his life what he taught, what he did, and the offer of life that he gives to everyone who will believe. It will be simple, it will be straightforward, it will be practical, and it will just focus on our need for a Savior, and that Jesus alone came to seek and rescue those who are far from God. So I hope everyone will come out and bring at least a hundred friends. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I love uh, a presentation of the gospel in a joyful environment where people are coming together to enjoy great music that whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you're going to enjoy the great music that's going to be presented. Uh, people loving one another, and we need that kind of environment, that kind of expression of good fellowship. Uh, when there's so much division among us uh, all across the uh, our communities. And so this is the timing is perfect. And it's always a good day when the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented. Yes, Georgina. And I, I just want our listeners to know that it's it, no matter what church background you're from, everybody is invited. We're just going to focus on Jesus. And the artists are diverse enough. Mm-hmm. Holland with pop, Lecrae with hip hop, Phil Wickham with worship. There's a little something for everyone. The food court We'll be open. It's run by Hillsborough Stadium. But, you know, it's open from 4.30, um, and then the event is free. And one little note, Georgine, if people would be kind enough to bring a non-perishable food item, ah. it would really help out a lot. We're partnering with Oregon Food Bank to hopefully provide tons and tons of food for families that are in need this summer. Absolutely. We've all benefited from the bread of life. Let's bring something for our community, those who struggle yes. with um, food insecurity. So that's a great thing. And I hope people will make that a priority because we're going to have a great time 
Um, but remembering those who are struggling among us is is always a great thing. Now, you mentioned that a number of churches have been praying for and, and focused on reaching our community for uh, for Christ, that all are welcome, whatever your denominational label happens to be. I think those melt away when we're in the presence of Jesus, but we, you know, we affiliate with one another uh, in that way. This is going to be an environment uh, to which all are cordially invited, and I think everyone's going to be, have an encounter with Christ as we open our hearts uh, to the prospect of uh, just a wonderful time of fellowship together. You say it so long. I wish you were speaking at the event, Georgie. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe if we do it again, <laughs> we'll have you do it. Well, we got the right speaker for the right event. Uh, just want to remind listeners, we're talking about good news today. It's a free concert, uh, an event at 6 p.m. on Sunday, August the 12th. The doors will open as well as the concessions at 4.30. So come early, uh, find a comfortable place uh, to sit. And would you think about those in our community that need our help uh, who are food insecure, bring a couple of cans, maybe bring a grocery bag of non-perishable items, uh, partnering with the uh, food bank to let them know that uh, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus, we care not only about ourselves, we care about the broader community, and we're going to help uh, to feed them uh, and enjoy a great concert featuring Lecrae, Phil Wickham, and Holland. And that's going to be followed up with a great encouraging message from my guest, Jose Zayas. And it's going to be a great afternoon. I think the weather's probably going to be as beautiful as uh, we've enjoyed uh, for the last uh, few weeks. And uh, so uh, I would also encourage our listeners to just begin to pray for the event, that God would lead people there who have no intention of coming, who have perhaps no interest in knowing Christ, but find themselves in a community of believers, hearing the gospel presented in a way that the Holy Spirit can penetrate their heart, and that we would see a great wave of uh, new believers, new family members uh, come uh, to be a part of the body through this event. How can we pray for you as you are preparing uh, to speak on August the 12th? Uh, thanks, Georgine. You know, we're about 18 days away. And I, I think, I, I know the message is just about Jesus and crucified, risen, and inviting all to follow him. But the particulars are important. So praying for wisdom, mm-hmm. the right illustrations, the right explanations. And really, pray for every believer who's thinking about coming, that God will open the door for them yeah. to invite someone who may not go to church, or maybe has come and took one small step. This could be the next one. You know, I, I heard years ago it takes about seven to 12 contacts with the gospel before someone often chooses to believe. Think about it. This could be yeah. contact number four, number seven. It could be contact number 12. You never know. But unless we invite people who are not connected with Jesus may not show up. So pray for me, but pray for every believer to stand up and do something on August the 12th. Well, I want to challenge our listeners, too. If you are thinking about, oh, that's something I think so-and-so would enjoy, but you might be a little reluctant. Well, maybe they will. Would you start to pray for those people that you're thinking about inviting, that God would give you courage and the right set of circumstances and the right conversation for that invitation? I just think this is a great opportunity uh, here in our community, and I want us to take full advantage of it. Uh, and I thank you so much for playing a significant role in in providing uh, this uh, this venue for us to uh, to hear the love of Christ, to share it together with others, and to bring our uh, unbelieving friends, and for taking the time to talk with us here today. Oh, my pleasure, Georgie, and thanks for having me on. Oh, you are so welcome. We'll look forward to August the 12th. That's a Sunday, 6 p.m. It's a free concert at Hillsborough Stadium featuring Lecrae, Phil Wickham, Holland, and an encouraging message from Joe uh, Jose uh, Zayas as well. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks. God bless. And bye-bye.
All right. Mark your calendars. Uh, a great opportunity. By the way, if you'd like to know more about it, you can go to the website goodnewstoday.world for all the important details. We're going to come back in a few moments after a break, and we'll wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. I was pulling out of the driveway of my home this morning. I happened to have KPDQ on, and Jay Seculo Live was on with the ACLJ. And as I was backing out of my driveway onto what's relatively a relatively busy street, um, I was uh, struck by the announcement that was made by the ACLJ. I stopped halfway through that, <laughs> that venture and just started praising God. Well, it was a major development announced earlier today by the American Center for Law and Justice. Um, American pastor Andrew Brunson has been moved from the Turkish prison to his house in Turkey. Now, this is a, f- a major first step toward his ultimately being released and returned to the United States because given conditions there, it's no longer possible for him to pastor in the Turkey he loves. But nonetheless, this is certainly an answer to prayer. And if you had the opportunity to hear the ACLJ earlier today, they gave a great deal of credit to the president who took this on uh, personally. And in fact, in the middle of the night, on several occasions, uh, engaged in conversation with uh, uh, President Erdogan from Turkey and played a major role, as well as the State Department, the vice president, members of Congress from both the um, Democrat and the Republican parties. And it, it just really is an exciting development, but it was hard fought and long awaited. Uh, two years, that's how long he's been in that prison, and this is a hopeful first sign. Now, they made it very clear in that announcement that we should not um, uh, believe that the uh, that the pastor is now uh, safe, that he is not subject to the whim of the Turkish government and its judicial system, uh, overseen largely by the executive, Uh, that he could not be returned to prison or some other things could change, that this is an encouraging development. It's a movement in the right direction, but it certainly is not the end of the story. And they have asked all of those who have been praying to continue to pray and uh, to make note that this is not ended until the pastor is out of Turkish airspace and is on his way home. Now, again, reading from the ACLJ's um, email from earlier today, this is a critical first step that we believe will result in the freedom of Pastor Andrew so he can return to the United States and be reunited with his family. For nearly two years, we've asked for your prayers for Pastor Andrew and his family as we have been working globally to secure his release from prison in Turkey, where he's been on trial for the supposed crime of Christianization. I think I asked this question some time ago. If we were to be put on trial, could we be convicted of Christianization, sharing the gospel, living our Christian faith in such a way that those who oppose us would consider it a crime? And I fear most of us would just be so irrelevant and ineffectual that we wouldn't be making any difference at all. It's a a real challenge, I think, uh, to be marked by how we live our Christian life. In any event, they go on to write that this is a critical moment. Pastor Andrew is now out of prison, but we need to bring him home to his wife and kids in America. He urgently needs your prayers and your voice. You can go to the ACLJ website. There's much more detail there. Uh, You can also sign their urgent petition to free Pastor Andrew. Uh, In addition to praying, and their primary emphasis on that program this morning and online is that we would continue to pray. We are trusting ultimately on God to move the hearts and the hands of those who are in positions of authority. And in fact, they made the point that the president way back, I think it may have been on the 18th, in the middle of the night was awakened and began working on behalf of Pastor Andrew. 
And rather than say, well, gee, isn't the, isn't the president a great guy? What, what they were saying was that God moved on the heart of President uh, Trump. He can move on the heart of anyone. In fact, he says he can, the scripture says he can change the course of a mighty river. He can change the heart of a king. And so he was moved um, to advocate on behalf of Pastor Andrew and uh, Erdogan, uh, conversely, has also uh, moved in a direction that the president urged him to, saying that uh, Pastor Brunson was a hostage, that he needs to be returned to his family, that he is innocent of any wrongdoing. And a week later, a week to the day later, um, when that tweet was sent out to Erdogan, uh, the uh, pastor has been released from prison and returned to his home in uh, in Turkey. Uh, and that uh, development seems to indicate that he will be released fully uh, sooner rather than later. But they made the point during the broadcast earlier today that that could be a matter of hours, um, weeks, uh, days. We don't know. Uh, continue praying and continue raising the issue with your elected representatives. And again, that petition, uh, you're encouraged to sign that as well uh, to keep this in the forefront. Uh, you can go to ACLJ's website for more information on that. And the program, J Seculo Live, um, can be heard here on KPDQ weekday mornings at 9. Well, the longest lunar eclipse of the 21st century occurs on the 27th. This is what uh, you need to know about it. That's Friday, by the way. A total lunar eclipse occurs when the entire moon enters Earth's shadow. On the 27th, that eclipse will, eclipse rather, will last for one hour and 43 minutes, according to NASA. The moon is going to turn a red or ruddy brown color during that blood moon eclipse, Spacecom Space.com reports sky watchers in the U.S. Uh, will not be able to enjoy the rare event, however, unless they're willing to travel. The eclipse is going to be mainly visible in Europe, in Africa, Asia and Aus, um, Australia, uh, as well as some parts of South Africa or South America, rather, uh, for an especially long lasting total uh, lunar eclipse of one hour and 43 minutes to occur. The moon has to pass through the central part of the Earth's shadow. Uh, Earth Sky explains the previous total lunar eclipse on January 31st of this year didn't last as long, one hour and 16 minutes, because the moon passed to the south of uh, the shadow's center. And the next total lunar eclipse is January 21st, 2019. That won't be as long either. That will be one hour and two minutes because it'll pass to the north of the shadow's center. Well, Earth Sky notes that the longest possible lunar eclipse is one hour and 47 minutes. Uh, the longest total lunar eclipse of the last century was on July the 16th in 2000. That lasted an hour and 46.4 minutes, uh, again, according to Earth Sky. And what Earth Sky describes as one of the sky's wonderful coincidences, huh, the eclipse will also take place as Earth passes between the sun and Mars. July will also see Mars make a close approach, reaching the point in its orbit when it's closest to the Earth. The red planet will make its closest approach on the 31st of this month, a distance of 35.8 million miles, according to NASA. Mars, however, will appear brightest on the 27th of this month through the 30th, the Sky Agency says. Well, it isn't a coincidence at all. It's, in fact, the, the result of careful design and management from the one who spoke that and every other thing that exists into existence. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Michelle Van Loon. She is the author of Born to Wander, Recovering the Value of Our Pilgrim Identity. She'll join us on Thursday. The book is published by uh, Moody. And then on Friday, we'll lighten up and um, only break in with serious news if uh, breaking news warrants that kind of attention. 
Also want to remind you, check out the Union Gospel Mission. They are in desperate need of help providing water uh, to those who live on the streets of Portland, their search and rescue team, and those who are coming into Union Gospel Mission uh, for water. You can check that out online as well. I want to thank James Blend for engineering today's program and uh, producing as well. Thank you for making the uh, Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great and cool evening. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.